I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 119. As we have been noting, as we've been going through Psalm 119, it is about, uh, this psalm is a lengthy psalm, and it is about the Word of God and the believer's relationship to that Word. And uh, he describes that relationship in sections 8 verses long. Each section uh, has one letter of the Hebrew alphabet that uh, it, uh, each, of the, uh, each of the verses begin with that letter. So we've come to verses 41 through 48, and the letter is Vav in the Hebrew. And that is translated in the Hebrew Bible, and... And so this uh, word is a word that uh, is usually used to link two things together. And uh, as I think about verses 41 through 48, I think that what the psalmist is uh, praying about and the theme of this verse, of these verses, is that the firm trust that he has in God and his word would translate as well into a firm conviction and confession before men of the truth of God's word. And so it is very much on the theme of boldness in confessing the truth of God's word, especially when we face those who are in disagreement with us. Uh, when we face those who may be uh, hostile to the fact that we hold to the teachings of the Bible, the Word of God. And so as we come to these verses, that is the theme, and uh, as we uh, read them, uh, let's hear the Word of God, verses 41 through 48. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. And I will also speak of your testimonies before kings, and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. And I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do uh, come to you with humility tonight. This is indeed the word that comes from your mouth. And the psalmist whom you inspired to write these verses that we have read uh, has written for us something that is important for us to know that we might live in relationship with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Enable, enable us, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, the theme of these eight verses is confessing the faith. Confessing the faith. Or boldness in making uh, an assertion, making assertions concerning the teaching of God's word, especially in the face of opposition. When it's difficult, when those that we are with don't want to hear it. And I don't think I'd be stretching it at all to say that every one of us here tonight have those in our circle of relationships with whom we are challenged to speak God's truth when they don't want to hear it. And the writer of these verses addresses the courage that it takes. He prays that the Lord would give him the courage to speak in difficult circumstances. I think the theme verse of these eight verses could be found in verse 46. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. It's an interesting fact that this verse, verse 46, is the motto that is attached to the Augsburg Confession of Faith, which is the Lutheran Confession. And it is so because of the dramatic moment in history when Martin Luther was summoned to appear before the newly elected Charles V, the Holy Roman Emperor, and all of the assembled representatives of the Roman Catholic Church at that time, Luther was summoned to answer for his heresies, of which it was believed that there was no question that he was guilty. And of course, everyone remembered, as Luther was summoned to the Diet of Worms, that John Haas had been burnt at the stake at Constance on the Rhine River about 100 years before. And like John Haas, it was very possible that Luther, if he went to this diet, would also be martyred. And his friends urged him not to go. And he said these words, I will surely go since I am sent for in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yea, though I knew that there were as many devils in Worms to resist me as there be tiles to cover the houses, yet I would go. And when Luther arrived... After a night of prayer and self-examination, the moderator pointed to the table that Luther's books were on, and he demanded from Luther an answer to the question, do you retract these writings? And Luther replied with these very famous words, 
Since your majesty and your lordship's desire a simple reply, I will answer without horns and without teeth. Unless I am convicted by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is bound as captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go contrary against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me, here I stand, amen. And those words uh, by Martin Luther were spoken at a time when everyone in that room, except for the companions of Luther, wanted to see him burn at the stake, and yet he gave a bold answer in the face of opposition. And so the Bible calls all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ not only to believe it in their hearts and to whisper it in their homes, but to confess it before men. And uh, the confession of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is king. You remember we read in Acts 17, the furor that was caused uh, in the city of Thessalonica because the Apostle Paul and Silas were preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the one whom the Father has sent, that he is the one prophesied in the Old Testament, who must suffer and then rise and reign as king. And because they spoke of another king, strong opposition came against them. And because of the fury of the Jewish people, they hounded them from place to place. But it did not stop Paul from preaching and speaking the very things that he knew could cause his own death. In fact, the Apostle Paul lists in various places uh, the sufferings that he endured, having been stoned and whipped at various times. He endured great hardship for the sake of the gospel. And so it is true that with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So as both are required of us, that we believe in our hearts that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and that he was raised and that he is indeed Lord. And by that faith we are justified. Our sins are forgiven and we have life. That is the message of the gospel. And the, the, the message of the gospel tells us that Christ has indeed abolished death and that for the one who believes in him, he will never die because he will be, is ensured that he is kept by Christ throughout this earthly pilgrimage and kept by Christ when this pilgrimage is done and kept for life eternal with him forever and ever. That is the message of the gospel. And we believe it with all of our hearts because the word of Christ has come to us.
But that needs to be confessed in a world that is hostile to that message. Believe me, uh, you don't have to look very far or think very much to know that the world around us is hostile to the word of God. The very assertion that there is a God who is over all creation, who has made it and sustains it, and that he himself will see to it that that which he has made contributes to the manifestation of his glory forever and ever, that God reigns supreme over this world. That is offensive to most men and women. They don't want to hear it, and they will stop their ears, and they will not endure the implications of it. The implication being that if that were true, then I might be answerable to him on the great day when I stand before him on judgment day. So the message of the word of God is a message of salvation. So what we say that we believe about that word is a word that as Luther did so long ago, we also need to boldly confess. What I want to do is look, first of all, I want to divide this psalm into two parts, or this section of Psalm 119 into two parts. In verses 41 through 43, we have a prayer. And in verses 44 through 48, we have uh, uh, the effects of the Lord's answer of the psalmist's prayer, the effects of God's power when he comes to the psalmist and gives him that which he prays for. And so we have, first of all, verse 41. Now the ESV translates verse 41 in this way. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. And uh, if you were to see it in uh, the Hebrew, you would see that the, the, word, the phrase, come to me, is the very first word out of the gate of verse 41. It is a cry to God. And the cry is that God would come to him. Come to me, he says, in your loving kindness, in your steadfast love. Come to me with your salvation. Come to me, for I am needy and I rely upon your promise. And so we see then that this is a prayer to God. It is a prayer of one who is in distress. He is praying for God's saving presence. We need not only for God to uh, do for us uh, those things that sometimes we cry for him to do, but there are times when we cry to God and we say, Lord, I need you in your power to come to me right now. I need to experience your presence with me. The very first thing in verse 41 that we notice is that the, the psalmist is praying that God would come in his saving power. 
that he would come in his saving power. And all those words, are co- it is a, it is, those are covenant words. The word translated steadfast love is that love that never lets go. That's why it's steadfast. It's a love that is based upon God's promise, not upon our worthiness, not upon our merit, not upon your performance. The psalmist knows that he has nothing in himself to recommend himself. He's pleading divine mercy. Only in God's mercy can he plead with God in this way, that he would come as the one who has pledged himself to come, as the one who is in covenant with him in love, in steadfast love and salvation. It is according to your promise. He's relying upon the word of God. So right away, we see that relationship between the believer and the word of God. Why does the the psalmist pray, Come to me, Lord, in my need, in my hour of desperation, because God has promised that when we call upon him, he will indeed hear us and come. And so he pleads the promise. And that's the relationship, how precious the word of God is. We need the word of God in order that we might know the promises of the word of God and that we might pray those promises and plead with God according to his word. When we pray according to his will, he has promised to hear us. He prays that God would show him his great mercy. Charles Spurgeon says he desires mercy as well as teaching for he was guilty as well as ignorant. The psalmists often pray in the spirit, especially when persecution is near. In another psalm, we read these words, Zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. I am the talk of those who sit in the gate, and the drunkards make songs about me. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord. At an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your, here's that word again, steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Psalmist here pleads the steadfast, unchanging, un, uh, never failing love of God. And so I ask you, in your moment of need, do you cry to God as the psalmist does? Plead with him, come to me in your saving power. He prays that way because he has enemies that surround him, and he is afraid. And so we see then that verses 42 and 43, we see that he prays not only for God's saving presence, but he prays for courage. In verses 42 and 43, he says, Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. He is being taunted. He's being made fun of. He is being attacked by those who uh, hear him. 
and they are blaspheming God, and they are taunting him. And so he prays to God that he would give him an that uh, he would be able to give an answer. It is true that the Bible teaches us that we should expect persecution. And that is exactly what this, the psalmist is experiencing in this setting. He's being ridiculed. He's being persecuted for his faith in God. We read in the Bible uh, such things as this. If you are insulted for the name of Christ... You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Now, you don't feel blessed when you're being insulted. You want to get out of that as quickly as you can. But here Peter promises us that when we are insulted for the name of Christ, for the sake of the word of God, we are blessed. Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. So the believer then, strangely, considers himself to be blessed when he suffers the reproach and the persecution of those who oppose Christ. The implication of this is that we can't go through our lives trying to avoid those situations. We shouldn't go through our lives making sure that we never say anything from God's word that will be offensive to someone else. It's, a, it's one of those temptations that we have, that uh, we want to maintain relationships, and it is difficult often to speak and to know how to speak in certain circumstances. And so persecution is something that the Bible says that we should, ex- we should expect that we will be uh, insulted and that we will be persecuted for the sake of Christ. Many examples could be mentioned of those men, like Luther, who in biblical times stood against powerful foes. Think of Moses. Here he is, a man who doesn't know how to speak, and he has to go before the greatest king on the earth at that time, Pharaoh. Moses did not want that, and he did all that he could to avoid it. And yet the Lord called him to go and speak to Pharaoh, to say something to Pharaoh that Pharaoh did not want to hear. And in the process, he made things much more difficult for the children of Israel, or so it seemed. And yet Moses was obedient to God in taking the message that God gave him to Pharaoh. We think of Daniel. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, and as I mentioned before, the Apostle Paul. And so we see that persecution is necessary, and the the writer pleads with God that, 
that he would give him the courage to speak in difficult circumstances. But he also feels not only the outward threat, but he feels an inward impediment. And this is, we see this in, the, in verse 43, where he says, Take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. Take it not from my mouth, that is, very much, or not utterly. And uh, the, the idea being that he feels himself to be in a position where he could... Uh, choose not to have the word of God in his mouth. And he prays that God would enable him to speak and that God would take away the impediments that he feels. I think one impediment that we often feel is guilt. We feel ourselves to be guilty sinners. But when we speak in the name of Christ to others, We need to know that our sins are forgiven and that the Lord Jesus Christ has covered them. And though we are not worthy in ourselves to speak in his name, we are forgiven by the blood of Christ. The saints, you realize, are accused by Satan, but they overcome Satan's accusations. How? By the blood of the Lamb. By the blood of the Lamb. It's Christ's blood that has paid the price for our sins. And I think sometimes we struggle with fear of men. John Calvin put it this way, sometimes it happens that we will not hold out even in the presence of men in the humblest ranks of life. When a man sets himself in opposition to the word of God, we instinctively shrink back from fear. Boldness of speech instantly disappears. We have profited well, Calvin says, when we are fortified against the fear of man. And he goes on to say, by this language, the prophet admits that he had not been so steadfast and bold as was required, but had been struck speechless by reason of fear. The faculty of speaking freely is no more in, the power, in our power than are the affections of our hearts. And so that is why he prays that God would come to him, that he would give him speech, that he would give him, that God would give him the words that he needs. How often have you been in that situation where you feel that you need to say something, but you don't know how to say it. That's, the, that's exactly what the psalmist is praying. Take not your word out of my mouth. Give me the words, Lord. Give me courage. But not only that, take away the impediment of my own fear or my desire to, to be liked by the person that I'm speaking to or my lack of understanding. We all feel that we're deficient in our understanding, and we're afraid to speak out for fear that someone will ask us something that we may not know the answer to. And so the psalmist prays, as we ought to pray as well in those situations, Lord, help me to have an answer for him who taunts me. 
Take not your word utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your word. In verse 42, the word, it's interesting that in verse 42, when he says, uh, then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me. The word that is translated answer is actually word. Then I shall have a word for him who words me. <clears throat> then I shall have a word for him who is throwing words at me. And that's exactly the situation that we're speaking about. You're in a situation and someone is verbally throwing things at you. What do we do? We panic. We're fearful. We don't know what to say. And what the psalmist is here saying is, Lord, you give me your word that I will have an answer for the words that are being spoken to me. And that's what, that's what the psalmist is praying and how true to life that is for everyone who uh, knows themselves to to be a believer and who trusts in the word and yet is often in difficult circumstances in terms of knowing how to speak. Uh, the psalmist here prays, Lord, come to me, help me to know how to speak. And that is uh, the prayer that is prayed. And it's often the case that when we are faced with someone who, uh, in a sense, uh, you ever find yourself uh, shocked by something that someone says, and, and you're speechless. Um, that's a little bit of what's being spoken of, too. It's the, the insolence, the pride, the arrogance uh, shocks you, and it so it throws us off of our stride that we don't know what to say in response. And that's kind of what the psalmist is feeling here, I think. Lord, Help me to have an answer for the one who taunts me. I trust in your word, but help me to speak it. Take not your word utterly out of my mouth. Let me speak it. Let me confess it before men. Let me be faithful to you, even in the face of those who oppose you. Then we come to the second part of the psalm tonight, and that is verses 44 on And here we see something of the expressions of the desire of the psalmist. He says, Lord, when you hear me, when you come to me, when the word of God uh, comes to me in power, and the power of the word is felt in my heart, these are the things that we notice. We notice, first of all, verse 44. Then I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And in that verse, it's the, it's the continually and forever and ever that we ought to pay notice to. He says, I will, I will keep your law continually and forever. Those are three words. So it's a piling up on the idea that this is something that he wants to continue. That when God does come to him and blesses him in his word, he wants to experience that forever and ever. Have you ever had those times in the Word of God when you uh, say, oh, I wish that it did not have to stop. I wish it did not have to end. If you will come to me, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. And it implies as well that uh, there is a resolve on his part 
to make the word of God and to incorporate God's word in his life throughout the whole span of his life, not merely in little bits and pieces, but that the word of God would be something that would be his companion, that would be with him, that he would carry in his mind and and confess with his mouth forever and ever, day after day after day after day. The continuation of that relationship with God. And uh, how often we find it the case that when we set God's word aside and when we are not uh, meditating on it and reading it and studying it, our affection for it wanes. And the more we find ourselves able to meditate upon the word of God, our affection for it is strengthened. And so that is what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, don't, I don't want it to wane. I want it to go on forever and ever. He wants it to continue throughout his life. But he says also in verse 45, I will walk in a wide place for I have sought your precepts. And uh, here it's an expression of a desire. It's more along these lines. Oh, I would. Oh, I would. Oh, I long to walk with freedom in a wide place. The idea of a broad place or a wide place means uh, something that I think can be best explained by way of a hiking analogy. If you go out and you're on a hiking trail, there are various kinds of hiking trails and uh, there are parts to the trail, right? There are those difficult parts, and then there are those easy parts. Um, And when you're in the difficult part, you have all of these obstacles. There are branches that come across the path, or there are rocks that are in your way, or there are roots from the trees, and if you step in the wrong way, you're going to twist your ankle, and you'll have to be hobbled off, off the mountain. And uh, so there's these obstacles, and and, and there's a narrowness, and there are rocks, and there are things like that that make us have to walk with great caution, and we're constricted. But then there are those places on the hiking path where it's free, and it's open, and the ground is even, and you can walk along, and you can relax. You can be at freedom. And that's what he's saying. In a broad place, that is without restriction. And and you can think of restrictions as internal spiritual restrictions, as well as uh, 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 external things. But here he's saying, oh, I would walk with freedom. I would feel such great freedom and liberty in your word. You would feel that the Lord freed you from those constraints and those struggles and those things that kept you from being at peace. You think about the examples of people in the Bible. People, well, let's take the Apostle Paul and Silas. They've been in Philippi. They're beaten. They're whipped. And, and, they're, and they're dragged off and they're thrown into a dungeon. And what is their attitude? What are they doing? They're praising God. They're at peace. They're not, they're not angry. They're not upset. They're not questioning. Uh, here, here, this man, uh, they, they received a vision, and they were told to come over to Macedonia, and, and this is what we get. 
What has God done? Here we are in the midst of this dungeon and there's no hope for us. And then God sends an earthquake and he delivers them. But what are they doing while they're there? They're completely at peace in the midst of trial and difficulty. And this is part of what is prayed when he says, when he he expresses his desire, oh, I should walk in a wide place for I have sought your precepts. I am following your word. I have sought your precepts and I have liberty. I have freedom to praise God and to be content and to praise God even in the most difficult circumstances. The Lord will provide for him. As the Apostle Paul wrote, and this is a a most beautiful passage, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Even in the midst of the greatest trials and difficulties, the Lord will, will give us peace if our if our minds are stayed upon him. And that's what he's saying. If you would come to me, Lord, answer my prayer in your steadfast love, I will walk in a wide place. And then he says in verse 46, I would speak of your testimonies before kings and should not be put to shame. And here he's He's envisioning himself being at a place where he would have such boldness, such courage to speak that it wouldn't matter about the, the, the majesty or the power of the one in, whom, uh, in whose presence he is, but that God's glory would so reign supremely in his mind that any greatness on the part of anyone that he was speaking to would be nothing in comparison to the glory of God, and that God would give him the power to speak in front of kings. I'm sure that that's why uh, the the writers of the Augsburg Confession chose this verse uh, to be the motto of of that confession, that, uh, that I will speak of your testimonies before kings and will not be put to shame, that God would give him great Freedom, not only freedom, but courage that he would speak the word. The words of Luther's hymn come to mind. A mighty fortress is our God. Remember that phrase in that hymn? That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The word of God is above all earthly powers. And if we were convinced of that, we would speak before kings and would not be afraid. And that is what he's saying. The effect of God's coming to him with blessing, the effect of God's coming to him to give him courage uh, would be upon him. Uh, John Calvin puts it this way, it is most unbecoming that God's glory should be obscured by the empty splendor of kings. I love the way he just sort of can express something so concisely. God's glory. God's glory. Do you realize you take all the wealth, all the gold, all the wealth, all the splendor, all the yachts floating in the Pacific and the Atlantic Ocean and in the Caribbean, all of the rich and the wealthy, 
of the earth and bring them all together. And what are they? They're nothing. They're nothing before God omnipotent and God, the God of glory and might. And so the psalmist then says, finally, as we come toward the ending of this, of this section, he says in verses 47 and 48, he speaks of delight, desire, and love. Delight, desire, and love. I was, he says, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your commandments. The lifting up of the hands is a, a physical expression of desire and eagerness. And so he says, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments. And notice how the, the word of God, uh, uh, he's saying he's drawn to them. He desires them. He lifts up his hands toward them and that he loves the commandments of God. amazing thing. He speaks almost of the commandments as you would expect him to speak about God himself. You would expect him to say, I love you, Lord. And he says, I love your commandments. Why? Because the commandments or the word of God is the revelation of God. Where do you know God? How do you know what he's like? And where do you find out about Jesus? It is in the word of God. And so the word of God is the great means of drawing out our affection and our love to the one who gave it. And you see how that works. God doesn't reveal himself directly to us in this pilgrimage, on, uh, on this side of glory, but he reveals himself to us in his word and by his spirit. And so the affection that we have for God and the desire that we have for Christ and the desire to know him and to love him more is expressed about the word of God because it is the word of God that reveals God to us. And the more we know the word, the more we know God. And the more we know God, the more we love him. In the greatest difficulties of your life, I can say to you, you will do well. You will do well to meditate upon the word of God. And especially upon those passages that reveal to you the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And even books like the, on the glory of Christ, that reveal to you and open up to you and explain to you the teaching of the word of God, they bring out the desires of the heart. And that's what is expressed here. I find my delight in your commandments. I love them. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your commandments. That word meditate, as we noted in previous instances in which that word is used, refers to the muttering of something over and over again. It refers to the repetition of something. Not just reading something fast, 
and being done with it, but meditating it on a way, in, in such a way, that we ruminate on it, that we meditate on it, we repeat it to ourselves. I know people that put verses on their, on their cars. And uh, why do they do that? They do it so that they'll be reminded of it and they'll be able to repeat it throughout the day to rely upon that promise and to make that word take residence in the heart. And that's what we want, and that's what the psalmist expresses, an ardent love for the commandments of God, which is really a way of expressing his love for God himself. And so may it be that as we have studied this psalm, that God would be pleased to come to us in power, to come to us and enable us not only to believe in our hearts that the word of God is true, but to be unafraid to say so. That we also, when we are at that moment, when we are called upon to confess the truth, and to say, no, what you're saying is not true. This is what God's word says. And to unashamedly confess our faith in the word of God, and in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God would give us, that he would come to us in such a way as the psalmist pleads for him to come. For your steadfast love, in your steadfast love, come to me, O Lord. May he do that in us as well. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we do thank you for this word. We thank you for the way in which uh, we come to understand how we may express ourselves in prayer, and how we may express the desires of our heart concerning the word that you have given to us. Pray, Father, that you would grant to each of us increased love and a desire to be exposed to the word of God, both in its reading, its meditation, to hear sermons, to be exposed again and again to the, the, the wonder and the greatness of who you are as you have revealed yourself to us in your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.